0: I study into the into this and it's there's a connection to a verb in Latin that that follows the noun and it's this word passer, P A S C E R E. And that means something completely different. Now bear in mind this is the verb form of the of the word. This means somebody's doing something. Y'all remember verbs? I wasn't good in English. I was terrible. Barely got out of high school because of English, but A verb means that something's happening. We're talking about an action word. And this word, passer, means to lead to pasture or to cause to eat. To lead to pasture or to cause to eat. Now, causing is not the same as feeding. Causing somebody to eat ain't the same as feeding somebody. Does that make sense to you all? Have you ever heard someone say of their church in, in, a, in a disgruntled state, hey, I'm just, I'm just not being fed here? Raise your hand you. but some of y'all have heard somebody say that. Thank you, Dave Bunch. In all honesty, I've said it myself. It was a long time ago when I was young and ignorant. But the truth is, is that it was, it was really a sign of some, some spiritual immaturity there. Because the truth be told, whether we're talking about the spirit or the flesh, if you're hungry, what will you do? Eat. Will you look for someone to feed you? Negative. If you're hungry spiritually, you, you're bound to find yourself some sustenance. You're bound to look for something to eat and to feed yourself. Some people want something from pastor that he's neither called or equipped to give you sustenance that's not his job it's not his mission it's not his calling the mission of pastor isn't to feed you it's to cause you to eat are you all with me it's to cause you to eat the pastor's purpose in the function of shepherd this first thing that we're talking about is to build a culture or an environment That contains what we need for growth. But it's not to feed us. He's going to put the stuff around us. That's good for us to consume. That will cause us to grow. But he's not going to put it in us. Pastor can put the environment around us. But he can't put the environment in us. We've got to ingest what is spoken from this pulpit. And we've got to obey the Word of God, the written principles, the spoken principles, in order for them to have their natural effect. Just hearing what's said here won't make you any better. It doesn't do you any good to just sit here and listen. I I could never imagine why one would do that. You take time out of your week, every week, to come and just... Listen to someone speak and not take any consideration of doing what they said. Listen to what the Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 22. Very familiar. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So, if you're hearing the word and you're not doing anything, you're like a man that's passing by a mirror. You see yourself for a moment, but just as soon as it's gone, you forget what it was that you saw. And then, verse 25 says. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This man shall be blessed in his deed. So if you look into that, the law of liberty, the truth, and you continue in it, that's the doing part. And you're not just a forgetful hearer. The Bible says that you will be blessed in your deed pastor noted in, in week one of this series and i didn't hear week two and i didn't listen to it because i wrote this before he spoke that so if there's anything that was said twice it was mine first okay i'm, I'm just saying pastor noted in week one of his series that in the church today exist three distinct generations of people the first being the, the post-world war ii folks And he said that those people simply just respected authority. They just obeyed authority. They just took to it. And then there were the baby boomers. And those people were taught to and often question authority. And then he skipped to the millennials and said those people just ignore authority. Now, there are exceptions to every rule, but we're talking about generalities here, so don't don't be offended. It seems to me that that the appropriate response to authority lies somewhere between the first group and the second group. Because I don't want you to be the kind of person who just takes at face value what, what everybody says, even if they're in authority. Because that will never breed any authority in you. You'll always be a follower if you do that. You can't lead anything. Now, if you want to take the baby boomer route and question authority, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. I don't believe that it's wrong to question God, because I think God will answer your questions. He will. God is not afraid of, of my intellect, and He's not afraid of your question. If I'm, if I'm confused, if I'm lacking faith, the only natural response is to say, Why, God? I just want to know. It's, it's for real. I just want to know. But I wouldn't want to always question authority. And we'll get a little more into that later. And, of course, there's just no place for the millennial look on the world. There's just no place for simply ignoring authority. But in answer to that, the Scripture that we read in James is the but why answer to Hebrews 13 and 7, which has been read, I'm sure, often. Hebrews 13 and uh, 17, rather, says, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. So, the young folk today, they read, you know, the first word, and they put up a red flag when when we hear the and, and I shouldn't just say you know, I'll just say from 40 on down just for the sake of including myself but when we hear the word obey that's a negative word nobody gets excited about obedience now it's better than sacrifice but it's not fun to hear about right so from the very beginning we hear the word obey and and our walls go up but the but why answer is contained in the Scripture that we read earlier in James. There's a reason for the obedience. Because the Bible said you can hear and not do, you can hear and not obey, and you're like that that man passing by that mirror. Every week, pastor stands in this pulpit or someone that he approves of stands in this pulpit and they place the culture of the Word around us. They, they build the environment. That, that Latin verb said to cause to eat. They build the environment. But if all we do is sit in the comfy tan chairs and just hear it, then all it is is the forgotten memory of that encounter with a mirror. There's nothing left. It wasn't much to begin with. You just saw yourself, but you forgot even about that. Just the forgotten memory. We passed the mirror and noticed that we had a face, but then we forgot what even happened very quickly we 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 forgot and we saw we even forgot that the the Bible says that we forgot the the kind of person that we were, but if we obey our deed, our work, our doings will be blessed you you 've never heard of a blessed hearing have you you can 't have a, a hearing and i 'm not talking about the court when i 'm talking about the the hearing that you hear—it's you, impossible to bless a hearing, but God can bless a doing. He can bless a deed. I'll brag a little bit on Pastor Murphy just, just for a bit here, and I'll correct something he—I did hear him say. He says some wrong stuff right now, and he—he he said that he sometimes isn't a good pastor or wasn't a good pastor. And, and while he's not perfect, and he and I don't always see eye to eye, we've been sideways a time or two. It's okay. He is a good pastor. Every week he comes here, I've never in the eight years. Now, I can, I can say this about him, and I can't say it about everybody. And I, I suspect that you will all agree, there's never been a time when he's addressed this pulpit when I felt like he wasn't prepared. And I'm paying attention. I'll find it if it's there. But every week, he comes prepared. He, he's not putting an environment around you that's dry and bare. There, there's never been... That sense that said, hey, I'm just taking this week off. We're just going to coast through this Sunday. I'll see y'all midweek. Never happened. Never happened. That's because he is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's not the good shepherd. That's a different guy. But he is a good shepherd. If you call Glenn Murphy pastor, then you have a shepherd. You have a shepherd and a good one. The second function of of pastoring, or pastor that I'll talk about tonight, is pastor as prophet. Pastor as prophet. Getting a little deeper now, getting a little more difficult. The word prophet, as we define it in English, modern English, means a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God. That's okay, but that's not what I'm talking about. While I believe that that definition applies to the pastor's prophet role, it it is not limited to it. It's, it's much deeper than that. The best illustration that I can, that I can pose for what, what we're talking about here is that simply the pastor stands before the people after having stood before God. The pastor looks at you after having, He's seen God. I'm sorry, the prophet. The prophet speaks what God has spoken to him. He doesn't personalize it. He doesn't polish it. Pastor, does not embellish it? He doesn't embolden it. He doesn't shorten it. He doesn't lengthen it. He doesn't legislate it. He doesn't really even prepare you for it. The prophet's role is, is to simply repeat the message. You all with me? The prophet's role is not to change anything about the message. The prophet's job is to repeat what he's heard. It doesn't mean that he's not moved by the message. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have compassion for you if you're the the subject of that message. But you've got to understand that when pastor is acting as prophet, He's got to deliver the message just as he heard it. There can be no change. Let me give you a a point of bearing for those statements, and I'll I'll read from Deuteronomy 18 and verse 18, and this is the uh, New Living Translation. The Bible says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. Listen now, I will put my words in his mouth. And he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my my behalf. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in in the name of another god must die. Let me ask you a question. Who wants to be the prophet? I got any takers? You want to be that guy? Being the prophet is serious business. So, whether Brother Murphy declares a prophetic word from the pulpit, or or whispers one into your ear at the altar, or looks across the table from you at lunch one day, gives you a prophetic word, it should be taken seriously. There shouldn't ever be a time when when he speaks to you in that role where what he says is incongruent with the word of God. It's it's never going to be different than the Bible. It's never going to be at odds with the Bible. But there are times, there are some times that our direction as a church or your direction as an individual will warrant and require a specific word from heaven. And it's his job to give it to you and he will And when he does you'd be best served to listen and to heed the direction to obey the advice even if it doesn't make sense to you even if it doesn't make sense to you even if you think you have more information than he does and I can see how that might happen if someone's giving me advice, you know, I often think, well, you know, they don't have all the information. They're not me. They don't, they don't know me. They don't know where I've been, or they don't know all the intri- intri- intricacies of the situation. But you best follow the advice. It's not my style to be overly dramatic, but if it's true, it's true, right? We can't help the fact that that heaven and hell are real places. That's dramatic, but it's just true. Those are real places, and we're, we're all going to wind up in one, in one of those places. There is no middle ground. It's, it's one or the other. And if hearing and obeying the voice of God through the man of God helps me to get to the right place, then you better believe I'm going to give it a good, hard listen every time. Young people, they're not in here, except for Eli. I'm going to remember this at birthday time, buddy. Good job. But for those of you who will hear this later, I'm going to tell you, the high of NAYC doesn't carry you past the voice of the prophet in your ear. Submission to authority is something that should be decided in advance. It's not a case-by-case initiative, okay? Okay. When, when you're in, I, I told some, one of my kids this, this, this week, when, when you're in a battle plan, there's a reason that you plan before the battle. is because when the battle's happening, there's bullets flying by your head and bombs going off and people screaming and blood everywhere. That's not good decision-making environment, right? You need to decide some things ahead of time. You don't get to choose Hey, well, this week, Pastor said this from, from the pulpit. He preached this, and I like that. That's cool. But that thing he said two weeks ago, and I'm not gonna, that, that doesn't work for me. You're not in submission, okay? You need to decide that ahead of time and don't change it. Parents, we've got to get a hold of this the same way. If we don't listen, if we're not submitted, then how can we expect our kids to be the same? Submission to authority isn't a taught skill. It's a modeled one. Nobody's going to listen to what you say and, avo- and ignore what you do, especially your children, especially your children. If you call Glenn Murphy pastor, then you have a built-in prophet in your life. You have a built-in prophet in your life. The last mode and the, probably the one we'll spend the most time on tonight is pastor as watchman. Pastor as Watchman. When I was a kid, uh, my dad had some passing fancies. One of them was bike riding. And we did a lot of bike riding when I was a kid. And my dad had, like, you know, a cool Trek 10 speed bike, you know, road racer looking thing. And then he had a giant bike and a specialized bike. He had a lot of cool bikes, but. When I was young, you know, it was a lot of money, and I would go with him on my little Walmart BMX bike, so he seemed to be okay with that. One of our uh, favorite rides was to drive his truck to my aunt's house, which was near the St. Francisville New Roads Ferry, and we lived on the New Roads side, so we would, we would park his truck at her house, and so we'd unload our bikes, and we would ride to the ferry, and then we'd cross the the ferry boat to St. Francisville, and then we'd ride up to Highway 61, and then we'd ride all the way to the Mississippi State Line and back. It was about a 50-mile loop. And uh, one day on one of these excursions, I don't know if we took a break or a side road or what, but we came across what I later learned to be the Wakefield Fire Tower. Does anybody ever does anybody here happen to know where the Wakefield Fire Tower is? Well, there's a couple of you. Awesome. So you you can you can validate my story. So as if riding 50 miles on a you know a BMX bike wasn't enough to, to kill my legs, my dad decided, hey, we ought to climb this thing because there's no lock on it. So, you know, up the two million flights of stairs we go, it was it was probably 125 or 30 feet tall. But, when we got to the top it, it was it was a pretty interesting outlook because they had built it on the top of a hill and it was built up above the treetops and The reason for that was in the early nineteen hundreds or the nineteen tens actually there was a, a huge forest fire in the northwest it, it was to this day the most destructive fire of all time. It burned over three million acres of american forest and it, and as a response to that the u s forestry service built these fire towers in various locations wherever there was a lot of timber value. And the St. Francisville area was one of those. So the man in the top of the watchtower was most naturally called the watchman. He worked for the forestry service, and his job was to sit in this place and just look all day whenever the times were right. They weren't there like, you know, in, in the middle of a monsoon, but when it was dry, the watchman sat in the fire tower and watched and when he saw smoke there was a device up there that he could essentially a compass that he could uh, get the position of the smoke and he could relay that to, to the firemen and they would go investigate and deal with it as they needed to you could see a long long way from that thing I, I remember getting to the very top and just being astounded you know I'm an old country boy from the flatlands of south Louisiana you don't get up very high very often But I want you to hold that visual in your mind here just for a few moments. We'll come back to that. The book of Isaiah 62 and verse 1, the Bible says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of God. There shall be no more term, thou shalt be no more termed forsaken. Neither shall thy land be any more termed desolate, But thou shalt be called Hesbada, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So you're hearing the, the voice of the prophet here talk about the vision for God's people and his city at that time it's a beautiful thing he he likens it to this to this bridegroom and he's going to be excited about what he sees he's going to be excited about the day when he marries his bride and then he says in verse 6 i have set watchmen upon thy walls o jerusalem which shall never hold their peace day or night and ye that make mention of the lord keep not your silence and give him no rest until he establish, until you make Jerusalem a praise in the earth The admonition of the watchman is to watch The admonition to the watchman is to watch Remember what Hebrews 13 and 17 said obey them that have rule the rule over you and submit yourselves for what? They watch what for? your souls Submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Let's stay there for just a bit. What is the purpose of a watchman? That fella in that fire tower in Wakefield, what was his job? What was his purpose? What did he do that everybody else couldn't do? He could see. Soak on that just for a minute. He watches. The watchman watches, in this scripture reference, from the top of the wall of the city of Jerusalem. Listen, y'all. He stands on top of the thing that protects the city. He stands at the place of protection, and he watches. His admonition is to watch. The watchman stands on the perimeter on top of the wall because it gives him a unique perspective from that elevated position he can see two very important things he can see the people for whom he watches and he can see the distance from which danger comes two things that he can see the people that he's watching for and the distance from which danger may come the first point i want you to notice and even right from hebrews 13 and 17 the first point Is that the watchman is not watching the people y'all with me there the watchman does not watch the people he watches for the people there is a huge difference in watching the people and watching for the people the modern church has it wrong in this regard we sometimes revert back to our adolescent ignorance and believe that that pastor is standing atop his post here at the pulpit and that he's watching us. He, he's invading our privacy and cramping our style and getting in our business. But that's not what it is. It's not that he doesn't know where you are. He does. He can see you. He, can, he has a line of sight because he has to be able to com- communicate with you. But he's not watching you. His purpose is not to keep an eye on you. Some of the churches begin to believe that that pastor is like a a prison policeman or something. That's just wrong. we got to know the truth. That's not the truth. That's what you call stinking thinking. It's just no good. Pastor watches for us. He watches what we cannot. He, He sees things from his post. On top of the wall and and this is the wall for today's church he sees things that we cannot the this pulpit, the platform where the word goes out where the parameters are drawn where things that are right and wrong are sometimes delineated that's a protective measure it's a protective thing it's not a police state the walls of Jerusalem were not built to keep the people in. They were built to keep the enemy out. The office of pastor is the same way. It wasn't built to keep a thumb on you all the time. It was built so that he could see what you couldn't. So that you could, you could go on about your everyday business. Moms and dads, the church pastor is not watching your kids. He's watching for them. I gotta hear that myself. Pastor's not watching Eli and Ella and Cole. He's watching for them. He's watching for their benefit. We want our kids to prosper. We want them to be happy and to be saved. But the book tells us what the wage of sin is, and it's 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 not in our best interest pastor watches so that you can live your life from day to day without bearing the burden of watching. And make no mistake, there is a burden affiliated with the watchman. Remember, elevation is a critical component. The high post gives the watchman a line of sight and access to the people. But as I mentioned, it gives him a broad view of the distance. He can see the gate of the city. He can see the bottom bottom of the wall. He can see the forest in the distance, and he can see all the ground in between. He sits on the top of that high place, which is lonely at times. There's only one watchman in an area. They don't put two watchmen in, in, in the fire tower. Never did that. It was one guy. We need a watchman. Grace Church needs its watchman don't ever think that you can do this on your own don't ever think that you can do this on your own the people of the city of jerusalem needed a watchman down on the streets in those days i'm sure things were just businesses as usual much like today there was work to be done there were animals to tend to and food to be prepared structures to build sick people to mend so on and so forth, kids to take care of. Does that sound familiar? Today there, there's clothes to wash and fold, and the kids have got to get to school, and you know, we gotta get out to the plant and turn that valve and cycle that system so we can start the shutdown, and we've gotta to get to the office and run that report, and we've got to call this person and that person. We gotta make sure payroll gets done this week, baby. We gotta do that. We gotta get to music practice tonight. We've got to learn that new song and it's it's a hard part. Jason and I just can't get it. I've got to get that done. It's it's got to get done because I don't want to miss it. There's dirt to move and and pipe to lay and concrete to pour. Asphalt to place. There's fun to have and I really wanted to see what was new on Netflix tonight. We're having dinner with this couple this weekend and I heard the youth group is coming over Friday night and we got to get the house ready for that and we got to get a 3.0 GPA this semester so we can get tops or whatever. There's a ball game tonight I wanted to see. It's at eight o'clock. We got to get to the bank, Oh, We got to make the deposit because we got to pay the bills. The bills got to be paid, folks. And we got to go to the post office. And there's not stamps. I think we got to get stamps. We're out of stamps. We got to get our prayer time in. We got to get to church early tonight. Hey, the list of we got us is never ending. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. We gotta do all those things. It's just life. It's stuff to do and it's our job to do it. But let me ask you a sobering question. With all that we gotta do, and with all you're doing with your head down and your hands to the grindstone and in the field and the planting and the doing, with all that going on, who is watching? Tell me, who is looking off into the distance while you're looking down at the everyday? Who sees the woods and sees something that's coming for you? Something that can render all of your doings mute, moot. The question is that man does. He's sitting in that chair. Answer to the question. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 3. Again, this is the New Living Translation. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm, but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sin, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins, And I will hold you responsible for their death. But if you warn them, To repent and they don't repent they will die in their sins but you will have saved yourself as God's appointed watchman he stands on top of that tall wall in that lonely position and he looks off into the distance and he keeps an eye on the gate he watches the ground between the two And as the enemy approaches you, this man who's been placed by God a little bit above the fray of the everyday, he's got a clear line of sight to you and he's got a clear line of sight to what's coming and who it's coming for. This man does his job and sounds the warning. This man the watchman says, listen to me, I can see it coming. It's it's closer now and it's It's terrible, wicked. You've got to move to get out of the way. You've got to move over. This man, the watchman, says, the gate of the city is about to be under attack. Get your armor on and get ready to fight. This man says, it's time to call an extra prayer meeting. It's time to go on a 21-day fast. This man sounds the alarm. we got to get more word in us than we are now. He watches for you, and he sounds the alarm. This man, the watchman, says, I heard where it was that you want to go. You told me about that thing that you want to do, but please don't. Please don't do it. I've been watching for a long time. I know there's something wrong over there. I can't I can't make sense of it to you, but I know it because I've been watching for so long and I've seen so many go that direction. I can't explain it, but I feel it in my heart," he says. It turns out poorly for them so often. This man the watchman must be obeyed. Not for his sake, but for ours for yours, for your kids, for your grandchildren, for the generations that are coming that will do what you did. It's for you. I'm wrapping up here, but God's not done tonight. I want you to very quickly come. If everybody would come, if you call Glenn Murphy, your pastor, I want you to come and just gather around the front for a moment. And as you're coming, if you'll just listen. We're going to take a moment and pray for him tonight. Pastor, if you'd come. But I don't want you to use the word pastor when you pray. I want you to call his name. Because as I said before, pastor is an office that God created. It doesn't need our help. It's perfect just the way it is. But the man... The man that fills the office is just like every other man. He's just like every other woman. Just like every other human. He's flesh. He gets discouraged. Things happen. The difference is, is that I can talk to you, all of you about that. I can talk to anybody I want to, but he doesn't have that luxury. Doesn't have that option. And all of that is for you. It's for your protection. I want you to pray for him tonight. Pastor, if you'd come and just stand down where the folks can reach you. I heard him say last week, and at other times, come on in close, you ministers, you men, come as families if you're here. I heard him say last week that he has trouble with his esteem. I'm going to tell you one more little quick story from the Bible, and then we're going to pray. In the book of Exodus, chapter 17, It was a time when the children of Israel were facing a battle with the Amalekites. And Moses noticed that when he lifted his hands, the Israelites would prevail in battle. And then he noticed that when his hands would begin to fall, the Amalekites would prevail. So there were two men, one on each side. Their names were Aaron and Hur. And what they did was they held Moses' hands up. They said, we see that you can't do this on your own. So they slipped the stone under him and set him down. And one on each side held his arms up until the battle was over, until Israel prevailed in the battle. I wonder if we can find some hers and some errands today. Can we get each on side of pastor and hold him up Don't pray for pastor. Pray for Glenn Murphy. Pray for the man who needs it. Pray for the man who struggles in silence. Pray for the man who loves you and loves your kids. Jesus, we praise you tonight. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the man that you put in my life. I thank you, Lord, for the shepherd that you've given me. I thank you, Lord, for the prophet that has spoken into my life. I thank you, Lord, for the watchman who stands at the post, God, and never has held his silence day or night. He's done his job well, Lord. Jesus, I pray for this man. Lord, I pray for Glenn Murphy's strength. I pray for his wisdom. I pray for his knowledge. Jesus, we praise you, God. We worship you. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you God we think you. you are good Jesus you are good we lift him up Lord we praise him hallelujah 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 Lord we praise you God we worship your name Jesus Lord bless brother Murphy tonight Lord give him strength that he's not had before Lord. Hallelujah, Lord give him wisdom that he's not had before Jesus, Jesus, for the future, God. Give him vision, God, and purpose that he's not had. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you and praise you, God. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let him feel the strength of the people, Lord. Let him feel the strength of his support, Lord. Let him feel the strength of his family, God, of his followers. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we lift him up today. We hold him up today, God, in moments of weakness and in moments of strength, God. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for this part. Thank you, God, for this In Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Grace Church, thank you for responding so beautifully tonight. And I pray that the lesson goes home. Let the lesson go home with us. The most effective thing that we can do to honor the shepherd, the prophet, and the watchman is to listen. The single most effective thing we can do is to heed the word. Not for him. For you. He watches for you praise the Lord. Thank you for your response tonight. Go your way. Give pastor some love tonight, and we'll see you on Sunday.